0: For you were born to lead. You were born to help build the kingdom of God.
1: You were born
2: for glory.
1: At times like that, just look up and leave. It's up to us to go down the road that leads us back home. It's up to us.
2: Sherry Dew was such a great voice for the women of the church when she was in the Relief Society Presidency, and I just echo what she said. You were born for glory. We're so glad that you're here with us right now on the Worth of Souls podcast. I'm Andrea. And I'm Brent. Today is thought habit number seven, where we'll look at the idea that I have power over what I think, feel, and do. The last couple of lessons, talking about enticements and adversities, they have been big subjects and life-changing skills, really, in order to learn to live every day joyfully, even while we're in the midst of all of those messy things in life. We've heard from a couple of people about their experiences applying being spiritually focused during their enticements and adversities. And we just wanted to share a couple experiences. This one is from Miriam. She said this, After going through the lesson on enticements, I was a little frustrated because I didn't feel like I could identify where I was getting hooked by enticements in my day, mostly because I didn't feel hooked by the things that were talked about in the lesson. So over the next couple of days, I was out working in my garden and I realized that I was really getting annoyed by my neighbor's kids. They're always throwing balls and toys over my fence and are extremely noisy, jumping on their trampoline. So much screaming. (laughs) I thought that was funny. (laughs) I have always loved working in my garden. It provides such tranquility for me. I love talking to God while I'm working with Him to grow things. When I realized I had been letting my emotions get the best of me every time the kids next door are playing outside, I started using those enticements to talk to God about it. And very quickly, I started to see those kids in a different light. I started to realize that I missed the joyous sounds of my own kids long garden from my home, and I'm starting to enjoy my gardening more when they're outside playing. God took a weak thing and made it a strength for me.
0: I love that story. We also heard from Matthew. He told us this, I will be eternally grateful that I learned the concept of using enticements to help me focus on my Savior more and received the inspiration on which enticements were my main weaknesses. I could have never known what the Lord had in store for me and the mountainous challenge that would come into my life just a few short months after learning these concepts. I can now see how the Lord was preparing me for this exact tragedy to help me endure it with an eye single to His glory. The pains I am experiencing are very real, but I am willing to pass through them because I know they are worthwhile and help me to remember what my Savior went through for me. If you have had any experiences like Miriam and Matthew shared with adversities and enticements after listening to the previous lessons, we would love to hear about them. Please share them with us on our Instagram and Facebook. We know the power of Jesus Christ can and will be manifested in your life in both small and big things. He cares about all of our life's experiences. As we've mentioned before, this Particular lesson is probably my favorite.
2: (laughs) Probably nothing. It's his favorite.
0: (laughs) We're going to dive into the concept of how I have power over what I think, feel, and do. In order to set up these concepts, we first want to talk about freedom.
2: Freedom! Not that that kind of freedom.
0: (laughs) What is it that makes man free? Most of us living today, when we initially talk about freedom, we have. Images that come to our mind like the Constitution of the United States of America, we think about politics and fighting for freedom or maybe we're passionately involved in a cause that maybe is helping others fight for their freedom. We think about voting and the political turmoil that's going on in our lives all around us today. And Another idea that comes up when we talk about freedom that society just tries to cram down our throat often is the freedom of being able to do whatever we want whenever we feel like it. This is a lie that the adversary tells. All of us who keep the word of wisdom know that we are much more free than those bound by addictions of smoking and drinking and doing drugs, or the undeniable plague of this generation, the addiction to pornography, that absolutely robs its victims of true freedom that is only available through the companionship of the Holy Ghost. Doing whatever the natural man tells you to do in the moment is not freedom. It actually equals bondage to our impulses. For this lesson, we are going to talk about freedom with the Lord's definition and what that really means to gain a spiritual perspective about the freedom that we have. In order to start, let's jump into 2 Nephi chapter 2. It tells us very specifically when we became free. In verse 26, it says, And because that they are redeemed from the fall, they have become free forever. So it is because of our Savior that we are free. No other reason. Jesus Christ is a freedom giver. And further on in verses 26 through 29, it expands on why we are free. It tells us that we are free because of knowing the difference between good and evil. We are free because we are given the freedom to choose and act. We are free to follow the will of the flesh or the will of the spirit. We touched on this a little in the enticements lesson. That one reason for mastering the body is so that our spirits are in charge, not our flesh.
2: Well, and another reiteration of freedom is in Helaman 1430. It says this, And now remember, remember, two remembers, (laughs) my brethren, that whosoever perisheth, perisheth unto himself. And whosoever doeth iniquity, doeth it unto himself. For behold, ye are free. Ye are permitted to act for yourselves. For behold, God hath given you unto you a knowledge that he hath made you free. In DNC 58, it gives us another witness of this. It talks to us about not being compelled in all things and being anxiously engaged in a good cause and doing a lot of things of our own free will. And then Jesus, because Jesus is talking to us in this section, he tells us something that I just, I love this phrase. He says, the power is in them, that we are agents unto ourselves. So as a temple president over my body, when I combine the power of the Holy Ghost together with my power of agency over what I think, feel, and do, then it is the perfect formula to help me mold my character to become like my Savior. With this true definition of freedom, we see some amazing things within becoming like Jesus Christ. A big part of becoming like Christ is to realize that I am responsible for what happens in my temple. And I give my power away when I make others, other people or circumstances responsible for what happens within my temple.
0: So how do we know if we are keeping our power of agency or our freedom or if we are giving it away, the best way to illustrate this is, is through an example, through a story. So let's look at three different mother's responses to finding out that their daughter has been arrested and needs to be bailed out of jail. If you remember from thought habit number three, we looked into a diagram that we called the performance cycle as it related to our performances and actions. Here we are going to use a similar pattern in looking at others' performances and how we self-counsel either choosing a temporal focus or a spiritual focus. Throughout every day, we do a lot of self-counseling. That is our inner dialogue that's going on in our mind when we tell ourselves about the events that are going on around us
2: right and those stories that we can put in our mind they end up developing our thought habits when we're not careful um which is why we always want to counsel ourselves with the truth with jesus christ's thought habits
0: that's exactly right so let's look at one of the mother's reactions to her daughter to the the phone call that her daughter is in jail and needs to be bailed out, she might say to herself, Oh, great. I can't believe she did something even worse. How could she do this to me? Now I have to suffer the embarrassment of my daughter being thrown in jail. I have to go waste my time to bail her out. And I don't have that extra money to do that for her. I don't deserve this behavior from my daughter. Just, Just wait until I get her in the car. I am giving her a piece of my mind. This mother is obviously temporally focused <laughs> Yeah, exactly <laughs> And probably something that a lot of us have felt towards our kids at times. And this self-counseling session that she just went through, the feelings that she generated, their, their anger, disappointment, irritation, and she's blaming her daughter for those feelings showing up in her inner world. Now let's go to reaction from, from mother number two. When she gets this phone call, she might say to herself, Oh, I guess this is my fault. If I if I wasn't working so much and if her father would spend more time with her, then maybe this wouldn't have happened. I guess we deserve some of the blame. This just proves that I'm not a good enough mother. I better give her some space before her dad comes home and all heck breaks loose. Yeah. This is another example of A self counseling session. The feelings that this mother would be experiencing would include blame, blaming herself, blaming her husband, feeling the shame, and assuming that she's a bad parent. She goes into vain regrets and she's allowing her daughter's behavior to dictate those feelings within her temple. In both of these examples, to whom have these mothers given their power of agency? To the daughter, to the husband, to the job? She is disowning in both of these examples. And disowning is an emotional technique that all of us use at some point or another. It is making someone or something else responsible for what is going inside of my
2: temple. Well, and something that's interesting to notice is that with both of these examples and the reactions from both of these mothers, can't you just see in your mind what's being created here? Like the result of when the first mother gets to the jail and and the yelling, the yelling match that's going to go on between her and her daughter or the result from mother number two, that when she gets around her daughter, tiptoeing around her daughter, not wanting to say the wrong thing and being worried about her husband. Like there's some creations happening within both of these circumstances and Remember, keep in mind that it's not the event of the daughter going to jail that's the problem that we're talking about here. It is what these mothers are telling themselves about the event that is the issue. We are in charge of how we counsel ourselves. This is true through all of the habits, the thought habits of Jesus Christ, When we use the thought habits of Jesus Christ to counsel ourselves, then this life becomes much more enjoyable, especially in situations like this when something difficult and messy arises in life. All right, so now let's look at example number three of using thought habits of Jesus Christ and how this mother is going to counsel herself instead. After she hangs up the phone, what she tells herself about the event that's going on, it's going to change what's happening inside of her and observe how she is keeping her power of agency and freedom. This is the prayer that's going on in her mind. Father, you know this is very hard for me and that I am feeling really sad about this. But I still praise Thee for this opportunity to grow spiritually. You know that I'm really worried about my daughter and that she has made a very serious mistake. Please help me, Lord, to serve You, to be an instrument in Your hands so that I can help her work through this. Help me to be a light to my daughter and help me to overcome my own negative feelings So that your love can fill my soul. And I recognize this steward, the stewardship assignment, and I ask for your help to be steadfast in Jesus Christ, so that Jesus Christ can be there to help my daughter. Now, she did a few things here in this self-counseling session together with God. She obeyed the command from the Lord to thank him in all things. She was really real with the Lord about her feelings. Well, one
0: of the things that I'd want to point out is that she chose to pray. Yes, she, she's praying always. She's obviously in the habit of praying always. Yes. Otherwise, that wouldn't have been the first place that she goes when something like this when tragic something happens. Difficult in her life.
2: happens exactly, and she was re- she was having a hard time with what was going on, but she was getting the beam out of her own eye first because she wasn't trying to blame her daughter for her emotions. She's separating her daughter's worth from her performance, and she's staying in the light to feel the Holy Ghost. And when she feels the Holy Ghost, what does she know? She knows that she still has a surety of hope. And she is aware of her stewardship assignment of helping her daughter, and she knows that every adversity that in those adversities, the power of Jesus Christ can be manifested for both her and her daughter. Again, it is not the event that takes our agency away. It is what we tell ourselves about the event that helps us to keep our agency or to give our power away. Can you see just the powerful difference in this self-counseling session compared to the other two? And you can also formulate in your mind the picture of how this mother is going to handle the situation when she gets to the jail and how different it will be that she's going to be able to love her daughter in this situation. She's going to be able to feel the promptings of the spirit with how to best mentor her daughter And the power of Christ is going to be manifested because this mother is staying an instrument in the hands of God and really putting herself in the position to be the miracle for her daughter, what her daughter needs. And being spiritually focused, she has empowered the spiritual world to help her choose her response to this situation instead of giving that away.
0: Okay. So let's talk some more about the idea— that we what we are telling ourselves in these events is going to determine our power of agency if we're going to give it away or if we're going to maintain it. An easy example for me because this, this has been <laughs> this is
2: where Brent gets to practice huge, his power of agency this is a
0: huge trigger for me and it has been for a long time, which is which is stupid drivers. When When I go into a self-counseling session about the drivers on the road, I am temporally focused. And 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 I say stuff like
2: you're getting better.
0: I I am getting better. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of that has to do with my wife. When she drives with me, she doesn't let me do this self counseling, at least out loud. I still do it internally, but I do it less. <laughs> but but I but if but if I'm triggered by the drivers, I'm saying things like "Oh, you moron! Get out of my way! What are you doing in the fast lane?" And just just allowing these other drivers to have total control over my emotions. Oh, you're making me so mad. If you just get out of my way, everything would be fine. When I'm telling myself these things, my agency is given over to them. I'm letting their behavior of driving dumb or being inconsiderate, whatever it is, to determine if I'm going to choose to do an anger or if I'm going to choose to do a calm. I'm allowing them to control me. I'm giving my freedom away to them. And it's not what the drivers are doing that's causing this problem. It's what I'm telling myself about what they're doing that's causing the problem. So what is it that I'm doing here? I'm being a victim. I'm allowing what's going on around me to dictate how I feel. I'm disowning the responsibility of what's going on inside my temple and what I think, feel, and do.
2: And there's several reasons why disowning is very destructive. Like Brent mentioned already, it's destructive because I allow other people to be in charge of what's happening inside of my temple, and it puts those other people in charge of my happiness. It creates a codependency upon the world and everything around me, and it also can create bitterness inside of me. And very low self-esteem because I'm always waiting for someone or something else to act upon me to help me feel happy. Satan knows this technique of disowning so perfectly well, and he uses it to his advantage all the time. Oh my gosh, you just have to sit there and watch for two seconds around us to see what he does in order to get us to be temporally focused and give up our freedom. It's very popular to disown in our world right now, especially because it makes me feel like I don't have to be responsible. And we tell ourselves that somehow it's easier when we don't have to accept the responsibility. But this is another very great lie. We pay big prices for giving our freedom away. And it's extremely destructive because it doesn't help me stay in the light. I become dependent on other people and situations to try to help me feel some type of happiness. And other people and events, like we've said, they're not in charge of my temple. That is my job as a temple president. I am in charge of what I think, feel, and do. And no one can take my power of agency away unless I give them permission to do so.
0: One of my favorite examples of this is from Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, where he describes his experience in the Nazi concentration camps and what he learned about the true freedom and what it really is. Elder James E. Faust actually quoted Viktor Frankl in his talk, Spiritual Healing. He said this,
1: Dr. Viktor Frankl stated, We who lived in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They may have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man but one thing the last of human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances and to choose one's own way of life.
0: Even after all the times I have read that book, I still struggle to understand how someone under those circumstances could have had the awareness that those men exhibited to serve and love their fellow prisoners. What it does tell me is that their character was established long before they entered the concentration camp, and no amount of imprisonment could steal that freedom of character from them. They could only choose to give it away. What are some other examples of disowning statements that are really common in our society? Let's look at a few. I have this problem because of my parents. Like maybe you struggle yelling at your kids and you say, well, I do this because that's the way I was raised and I don't know any better. That's a disowning statement. You have the power to choose how to treat your kids, period. There are people in my life who really struggle with this concept, and I hear them saying things like like this, it's not fair because my parents didn't pay for my college, or I've heard them blame their parents for being not being in the position to help them buy their first house and set them up financially at the beginning of their adult lives. These are disowning. And it fosters an attitude of entitlement every
2: single time. Yeah, it does. Another one is a a disowning statement is, my boss or coworkers, they make me so miserable. This is also a false statement because no one can make you miserable without your permission. Now it could be true that your boss and your coworkers are hard people to get along with. But you can still choose to take ownership over your feelings and the situation. There have been plenty of times in jobs that I've been in that there are difficult people to be around. And I've had to switch my perspective in my mind about that and decide to go to work for Heavenly Father and to decide to go to work um, to be able to glorify the Lord and it helps when you, when you choose to do that and you have a difficult work environment, when you go to work for the Lord, it really does make a big difference.
0: Another really common phrase that we hear all the time in our society is my life isn't fair. Guess what? Congratulations. No Nobody's one's life, life is, is fair. fair. <laughs> when I look at my growing up life, I had a lot of opportunities to be in this mindset. Like I mentioned, I moved 18 times before my mission And I had no kind of solid foundation because of the level of poverty that we lived in. And it would be really easy for me to claim unfairness when I had friends that never moved and always had plenty of money. And admittedly, I struggled with this disowning mindset in my 20s until I learned that there are no accidents in Heavenly Father's kingdom. And I could choose to use those experiences for my growth.
2: Nobody treats me with respect. That's another good one. We hear this type of statement and the variations of this statement with a lot of things like, um, my boss doesn't treat me with respect, or my spouse doesn't treat me with respect, or my kids don't, or extended family, or even in, in the church, especially with callings that maybe we think we've been you know, quote, passed over for, that no one in leadership recognizes me or my talents. These are all very false stories that we get into and we tell ourselves. And remember that you've got to treat yourself with respect first. Respect yourself enough to change your thought habits and your paradigms. And if someone really is not treating you with respect, because that is a reality of life. Remember, it's only a reflection of what is going on in their temples. It's what they're telling themselves about you, and it has nothing to do with you. Don't try to own their feelings and what they personally get to work through together with the Lord. That's not your job.
0: Here's another one that we hear all the time. My spouse makes me so mad.
2: (laughs) I've never said no, this about neither Brent. Us, neither of
0: us have ever been in this paradigm <laughs> <laughs> towards each other.
2: Well, and and it's so easy because it, Brent's the one who knows me the best. He's a really easy target no, for exactly. my Well, and anger. it's really
0: any interpersonal relationship you have. I mean, we use this phrase all the time with kids, too. My yes. kids make me so mad. They're there all the time. They're an easy target, and they're they're presenting enticements for us all the time. All the time. But I have to tell you. There's no such thing as my spouse or my kids making me angry. That's your choice. If you do an anger, that's your choice. They do not have the power to make you angry. Period. End
2: of story. (laughs) There's been a few times in our disagreements when one of us will say to the other, I'm making myself so mad because of what you're saying right now. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to own it, you know. (laughs) We try. Here's another good one. My ward or neighborhood is not very friendly or nice to me. This is a big disowning statement. What you tell yourself about your ward or your neighborhood and who you're associating with. I mean, you guys, you cannot walk into a church building with your hand extended to shake somebody else's hand and have someone not grab it and talk to you. Like, it's it's impossible. It's the same thing with any neighborhood I've ever been in. When I've gotten stuck, when we've moved, and I've gotten to a neighborhood, and after a week, I've thought to myself, oh, nobody's come to say hi to me. I I'm waiting for someone to act upon me. And any time that I have chosen to go and introduce myself first, nobody's kicked me off their doorstep.
0: (laughs) Nobody's knocked the plate of cookies out of your hand saying, get away from me.
2: Right. I cannot wait for them to act upon me. And and if if I'm having a hard time with neighborhood or ward not being friendly, just don't wait for that anymore.
0: Here's another one that is prominent in our society right now. My kid is failing in school because of their teachers. Disowning statement. We have lots of emotions tied up in the success of our children, whether it's school or dance or sports. Sports
2: or music or whatever.
0: The bottom line is that your kid's performance in school or anywhere else belongs to them, not to you, not to their teachers, not to their coaches, not to their young men or young women's leaders. It's theirs. Allow them the freedom to feel the success and the failure and don't disown the feelings that it's causing you. If you're choosing to do a frustration or do an anger because they're failing at something, look at that and realize that that's something you're creating and those feelings are yours and yours alone.
2: Here's another good one. My children are driving me nuts. <laughs> uh, Uh, This is definitely one that I have said many times disowning statement, and I hear this a lot from various mothers Sometimes we don't want to admit it, but we choose to be victims of our own motherhood And it's extremely common that we victimize ourselves for how hard it is to be a mom And don't get me wrong Being a mother is the best and the hardest work that there is, but we don't need to be victims of our motherhood. I personally, oh man, I was stuck in this for a little while, especially several years ago when we started homeschooling. I found myself going into thoughts about how my life was harder than anybody else's that wasn't a homeschooling mom because I was around my kids all day long. And I found myself like on social media when somebody would complain about their kids being home for summer break, just being like, oh, my gosh, get over yourself. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but here's the thing. I was being a victim to my own choice to homeschool my kids. And my kids can't drive me nuts unless I give my agency away to their behaviors controlling my emotions. And when I changed my paradigm that my children were and still are doing their jobs perfectly, full of all of enticements to help me grow spiritually, then it helped me to let go of disowning my own emotions about their behaviors, and I got my freedom back. Elder Bednar, oh, I love Elder Bednar. He said it best when he said this.
1: You and I cannot control the intentions or the behavior of other people. However, we do determine how we will act. Please remember that you and I are agents endowed with moral agency, and we can choose not to be offended.
0: Elder Bednar never leaves room for disowning. I just love him. The last really common disowning phrase that we hear both in and out of the church is, I just don't have enough time, or I'm overwhelmed because I'm so busy. We say this when we don't want to take responsibility to say no. We put ourselves in a position to just try and please everyone around us. This is codependency on the world, and it's very important, obviously, we know this in our culture, that it's very important to serve, to do our part, really important But most of the time when someone feels overwhelmed, it's because they're saying yes to too many unimportant things in their life and no to the most important things in their life. If you are so busy that you're not having good quality prayers, scripture study, time with the Lord, and time in your quality relationship and your family, then this is a variation of this disowning. And we are inviting you to relook at your priority list. Elder Uchtdorf discussed this in his talk of things that matter most. He
3: said this. The wise understand and apply the lessons of tree rings and turbulence. They resist the temptation to get caught up in the frantic rush of everyday life. They follow the advice, there's more to life than increasing its speed. In short, they focus on the things that matter most. Elder Dallin H. Oaks in a recent General Conference taught, We have to forego some good things in order to choose others that are better or best because they develop faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and strengthen our families.
0: I reflect often on Elder Uchtdorf's and Oaks's talks, Because in volunteer organizations like the church or community theater or coaching youth sports, there is never an end to the work that needs to be done.
2: And not just volunteer organizations. There's never an end to work that needs to be done anywhere, everywhere. (laughs) Right, right.
0: And really, we must never become victim to that need simply because we are passionate about the work itself. The Lord would not have us run faster than we have strength.
2: Disowning really is Satan's best program to tempt us to give up our agency. He does not want us to keep the power in our lives to find joy in our day. And who gave us our freedom? Obviously, our Heavenly Father and our Savior gave us our freedom. The Lord wants us to have this power in our lives to use for his glory. But he will not interfere with how we're choosing to use that agency. That's our job on this earth. We get to figure that out. And he invites us to come to him along our journey so that he can teach us and help us to expand our power, our ability to think and act. The choice of disowning brings misery, but the choice to keep our agency brings joy because of the companionship of the Holy Ghost it gives us and because of really understanding our Savior so much more. When we disown, we we pay prices. There's a there's a heavy cost given. And what are those costs? We become codependent. We try to control other people. We feel powerless and we can lack confidence in ourself. We can feel upset most of the time. We feel helpless constantly. We're tossed to and fro and we're always seeking approval from other people and become very unsure of ourselves. These are prices we don't need to pay in this life. Lehi told us that Satan wants us to be miserable like he is, that he seeketh all men to be miserable like unto himself, like it tells us in the scriptures. And we pay these prices when we engage in this disowning self-talk and it's not required for our exaltation. That's
0: exactly right. But what are the benefits of keeping our agency and keeping that freedom? We're going to feel close to Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. We're going to feel that great hope to be raised into eternal life. We're going to have the growing in spirituality because we are we are maintaining charge of our temple as temple presidents. We're going to feel the companionship of the Holy Ghost. We're going to be in a position to help others. We're going to love ourselves more. We're going to be able to laugh more. We're going to feel more peace. I give up all of these benefits if I choose to disown. And it's not worth it to lose these beautiful emotions. Again, Elder Bednar reflects on the importance of keeping this power, and he said this,
1: In the grand division of all of God's creations, there are things to act and things to be acted upon as sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father, we have been blessed with the gift of moral agency, the capacity for independent action and choice. Endowed with agency, you and I are agents, and we primarily are to act and not just be acted upon. To believe that someone or something can make us feel offended, angry, hurt, or bitter diminishes our moral agency and transforms us into objects to be acted upon. As agents, however, you and I have the power to act and to choose how we will respond to an offensive or hurtful situation.
0: Elder Bednar is such a great example of walking the walk with keeping the power of agency. I love what he said, that believing that someone or something can make us feel all those different emotions transforms us into objects. And I don't know about you, but I am not going to be an object today. So how do we keep our power of agency? We talked enough about how to give it away through disowning. Let's see if we can keep it. The first tool of keeping our agency is to recognize who has the beam in their eye. Jesus talked about this specifically in Matthew. Let's read In Matthew chapter 7, it says, And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye? But considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye." If you can see the picture on the slide that we've got with this particular section, it is such a perfect visual for this.
2: <laughs> it really is, especially so you can understand the exaggeration that Jesus was using yeah, here. Yeah,
0: exactly. The <laughs> moat is so small. It's such a little tiny speck. But the beam is such this is massive piece of wood in this this character's eye. So the comparison that Christ was trying to make really is that exaggerated of how important it is that we maintain a focus on what we have control over before we even consider helping others. Elder Uchtdorf quoted these verses from Matthew in a recent talk, and he went on to remind us of something that happened during the Last Supper when the Lord told his disciples, one of you shall betray me. He then went on to say this.
3: The disciples didn't question the truth of what he said, nor did they look around, point to someone else, and ask, is it him? Instead, they were exceeding sorrowful and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? I wonder what each of us would do if we were asked that question by the Savior. Would we look at those around us and say in our hearts, he's probably talking about Brother Johnson. I've always wondered about him. Or, I'm glad Brother Brown is here. He really needs to hear this message. Or, would we, like those disciples of old, look inward and ask that penetrating question, is it I? In these simple words, Lord, is it I? lies the beginning of wisdom and the pathway to personal conversion and lasting change.
2: Lord, is it I. Oh, I remember when Elder Uchtdorf gave that talk, and oh, it's just beautiful. And it's brave. It It takes a lot of courage to admit that when I'm complaining, when I'm the one with the beam in my eye— it's it's brave to admit that. And when I'm getting hooked or triggered by a stimulus and then creating these negative feelings, I, I am the one with the problem. And in this, I am not free. Now, simply put, whoever is complaining is the one with the problem. With that, a quick example. In my work-life background with organizational behavior, I had oftentimes, a lot of people that would come to me with their problems within a company. And they would say things like, Andrea, I've got this problem. And I would always be really happy when I heard this because it's a good ownership statement to say, I have a problem. But then they would proceed to tell me about what everybody else around them was doing, what they were doing wrong, like all of these things that were outside of themselves, So, you know, I'd listen and then I'd ask them, well, are they the ones complaining about it? And they would respond with a no. And I would respond with, well, then they don't have a problem. You have the problem. What can I do to help you with your problem? And they didn't really like it when I would say that initially, they wanted their co-workers to stop their behaviors. You know, they they wanted all these different things to happening outside of them. They wanted to be acted upon. And that's a disowning attitude. It does not work that way. We can't control what other people choose to do in their temples. But once I could get people to realize that they could really impact the negative stimulus of other people's behaviors by you know, quote, getting out of the box, as the book Leadership and Self-Deception puts it, um, towards their co-workers, then it was amazing the results that happened. But honestly, I would also get excited when someone would come to me to complain. That sounds weird, but I really would, because the person complaining is also the person who has the solution inside of them. Once you realize and take ownership over your feelings, then you can switch the energy of complaining into a positive, spiritual, spiritually-focused energy to work together with God to find a solution to your problem. And once I recognize that I am the one with the problem— then I can go to the spiritual dimension and ask for the Lord's help. Just like the m- mother number three that that we talked about at the very beginning of the lesson. When you recognize maybe that the drivers are hooking you, when your children are triggering you, when your in-laws are making you so mad, then I can really see that I need Heavenly Father's help to get back into the light. I can say things like, Heavenly Father, please help me to repent and get back to you so that you can help me find solutions to this problem. And he helps me to repent, get the beam out of my eye, and then I'm in the light of the spiritual world where the solutions can become abundant in order to help me. Conflict management together with the Spirit, it really does provide change. And real change. Sometimes people have a hard time when I talk about this because they assume that, oh, well, I'm just having a bad attitude and I need to just ignore everybody else's bad behaviors and only fix myself. I I am not talking about that. Oftentimes we find ourselves complaining about maybe our children's behaviors or our coworkers' behaviors or our spouse's behaviors because there really is a good reason why we're getting triggered enough to complain. Issues come up in life that really do need to be solved by not just me, but two people, the two people involved. My point though is this, we cannot solve anything when we disown and make the other person in charge of my feelings and my behaviors. When I realize I'm complaining, That first major step is to recognize it that I have the beam in my eye so that I don't go to disowning. Then the second step is to stay spiritually focused until I feel the spirit and peace enough so that solutions can present themselves. The power is in us. Jesus told us that to turn to the Lord, and then the light of the spiritual dimension can help us to conflict manage in order to create an impact to make lasting change happen in my life and in the other person's life as well. The powers of heaven are available, and everything that I do to help the other person, once I get the beam out of my eye, I really truly can help them with that moat while i'm walking in the light. And then even if the other person never changes because that's also a reality. What if i do all of this inside work and they they don't do theirs? I still receive the benefits we talked about before of peace, love, feeling close to heavenly father, feeling my savior, knowing my savior is with me, growing spiritually. And all of the other benefits that we mentioned, I can use the events and problems of life to expand my power of agency.
0: So the first tool is to get the beam out of our own eye. The second tool of keeping our agency is to change our expectations. Yes,
2: this is a big one.
0: So how does the adversary want us to feel about life? Like we said in in Nephi, He wants us to be miserable like unto himself. (laughs) He wants us to be overwhelmed, never satisfied.
2: Oh, we always need more. We always want more. We don't have enough.
0: He wants us to be disappointed, basically constantly miserable in our inner worlds. A big way that he does this is by telling us lies about what we can and should expect from ourselves and from others. And he tempts us with untruths that actually can shape our expectations. Some of these untruths that are that everything in life will be fair.
2: Right. Which like is, which the is drivers ridiculous. on the road, they should always be responsible. Right.
0: Or that everything should be easy, where well, there should be an easy button with everything. I should just be able to tap it anytime I want or 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 that my kids will always They'll obey always
2: me. They'll always obey us and never never frustrate us.
0: These are false expectations false. that creep up yes. with the recurring events that happen daily in our lives that somehow we expect these these events that happen all the time to magically change from one day to the next and then we get overwhelmed or disappointed when these false expectations are not met but the lord tells us a different story he tells us through lehi that there must needs be opposition in all things
2: so what is a realistic expectation?
0: Well, ex- expecting spiritual growth is not a false expectation. Right. That that's real. That is the real expecting
2: expectation. Expecting those
0: enticements to come 10, 12, 20 times a day, that's real. And it prepares us for the opposition that does happen throughout our day when we counsel ourselves with the reality that our expectations have to be realistic. So let's give a, a couple of examples a false expectation would be my children will not make any mistakes today.
2: Well, and this is a funny one because logically we say, well, of course, my children are going to make mistakes. But really subconsciously, this is what we want. Right. We want our children not to make mistakes subconsciously. We want them
0: subconsciously. to be perfect. But of yeah. course, that's ridiculous. And my expectations of my kids are going to shape my perception of what they are doing or not doing. And all of us subconsciously would love it if every day were perfect with them. But to expect your child to perform perfectly is setting yourself up for major disappointment because not even as adults do we perform perfectly every day. In reality, their behaviors are a perfect atmosphere for our spiritual growth. So So the spiritual expectation – The spiritual expectation, if I set my expectations properly, is – My child is going to do at least 10 to 15 mistakes today. Help me, Father, to use those mistakes for my spiritual growth. It's realistic to expect that your children are going to make mistakes. They're going to fight with each other. They're going to make messes. They're going to break stuff. They're going to argue about doing their homework. They're going to groan about washing the dishes, and they're going to roll their eyes when you tell them to get off screens. When you expect this opposition— then you have the shield of faith up and you're prepared to stay spiritually focused through those behaviors because we use their mistakes and their their negative behaviors to remind us to pray and praise God in all things.
2: Right. Well, and I think it's really powerful because we also can, when we stay in the spirit, separate their worth from their performance so we don't react out of anger. We can help them out of love.
0: Well, and the other thing is that we're going to, when we stay in a in a realistic expectation mindset, we're going to see the good things they do and we're going to praise them for right. them. Yeah. And with that, we are going to see what we want duplicated, emphasized in their lives and we'll see more of what we hope to see.
2: Right, exactly. And that's the amazing thing about fixing our expectations is that when I wake up on a morning and I think to myself... My kids are going to make 10 to 15 mistakes today. Help me to spiritually focus through it. I actually honestly do see more of their positive things to reinforce. Like, I really do. (laughs) It's kind of amazing the way it works. Okay, so another false expectation would be my Sunday school lesson is going to go perfectly and Sister Smith won't make any weird comments. This is a false expectation, and I set myself up for failure when I do something like this. A spiritual expectation is Sister Smith is going to derail the class, and Lord, when she does, it's a reminder for me to focus spiritually so that I can just get back right on track.
0: (laughs) Another false expectation is no drivers will do anything stupid on my way to work today. And the opposite of that— where I set my expectations properly is I know I'm going to encounter a dozen dumb drivers on my way to work today. When I do this, the drive to work is going to transform right before my eyes. It actually puts me in a position to see the 95% of drivers that are doing the right thing. Right. And, and instead of focusing on those negative drivers that are getting in my way and causing me to do an anger,
2: Here's another good false expectation that comes from the life of Andrea Palmer. Here it is. This dinner is going to turn out delicious and everyone is going to love it.
0: (laughs) My children will sing praises to me when they eat this delicious meal.
2: How healthy it is and it tastes good too. Thank you
0: for putting spinach in this, mother. We love it.
2: (laughs) False. False expectation. Of spiritual expectation is my family is going to give me pushback about something they don't like with this food. And when they do that, I am going to use it for my spiritual growth. (laughs) And then that way, when my kids come to the table and if they do complain about the food, I'm ready to handle those complaints with proper energy instead of anger reactions and in reality, when my children come to the table and they, they actually compliment it and they're excited to eat it, then I, I like, it's amazing. It's a miracle. A miracle just happened in my life. <laughs> and I can focus on that good behavior instead.
0: You must find where your false expectations about life are. And where Satan is trying to hook you with them.
2: These are just a couple that come out of our chapters of life. You get to do the work of finding your own.
0: And remember that changing expectations is not about being negative. It's keeping your shield of faith up and holding it there throughout the day for when the fiery darts of enticements are flying at you. We've talked to some saints over the years about this, and some of them have had a really hard time with the concept of changing or lowering expectations because it feels like they are choosing a negative focus.
2: Like I've had people comment, like, I'm going against the law of attraction when I do something like this.
0: Well, and understand that adjusting expectations is expecting opposition, and it's not being negative. It's just being realistic.
2: It's, we live in a fallen world. Exactly. Yes.
0: And and it helps us to actually expect things in this fallen world to present those enticements. And what we can do is use those enticements like we talked about to practice staying spiritually steadfast. And keep in mind that – just because you're you're lowering your expectations doesn't mean that's something you're communicating to the people in your life, right. especially your kids. You're not <laughs> saying out loud to them, I expect you to do 10 or 15 mistakes today, son, or I sure hope you roll your eyes at me when I tell you to do your homework. <laughs> right. you're, you're saying these things within your own temple. It's not something that you have to say out loud, but you're setting yourself up for victory Because you're setting your expectations properly. Right.
2: You're putting on your battle armor, really. And let's talk about the steps to take to change your expectations. Number one is to recognize where you've been giving your power to others. Where are your false expectations? And what stories are you telling yourself because those false expectations are not being met? That's number one. Number two is ask the Lord to help you change those expectations. Talk to him about setting up realistic expectations. And as a result, you can be in charge of what happens within your temple throughout your day. And then number three is to use prayer and praise to change thought habits and create new blueprints around those expectations. Anytime I get hooked by the temporal world, that's like the red flag going off. It's the signal that I need to readjust a false expectation. And when I change my expectations, then I'm not surprised by the enticements as they show up. And I get to be in charge of what I will focus on throughout the day. And also, here's a little side note, because we are still all very human – I know that one of the expectations that we can all get stuck in is this expectation. I'm going to handle everything beautifully throughout the whole day.
0: (laughs) Now that I've listened to this expectations lesson, I'm going to lower my expectations and they're going to be perfectly set from here on out.
2: Right. No, (laughs) that's another false expectation. Just understand right now that you're not going to handle every single thing beautifully. But guess what? We actually can rejoice in that too, because Jesus is the one who makes up the difference for us, especially when we turn to him and we repent. And when you change just one expectation in your day, then rejoice. When you see one thing from a different spiritual perspective, rejoice Every day can be a little better. And if we work a little bit more every day to change our expectations, then the results after a couple of months can be astounding results. President Hinckley, he was the prophet of my prime. I just love him. He said it really well when he said this.
1: My beloved associates, Far more of us need to awake and arouse our faculties to an awareness of the great, everlasting truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each of us can do a little better than we have been doing. We can be a little more kind. We can be a little more merciful. We can be a little more forgiving. We can put behind us our weaknesses of the past. And go forth with new energy and increased resolution to improve the world about us, in our homes, in our places of employment, in our social activities.
0: That really is all the Lord expects from us. Just do a little better every day.
2: I'm really grateful for progression. Really grateful for progression.
0: (laughs) Every single one of us can choose what energy we're sending out. I can send out love kindness, justice, mercy, patience, respect, or any other powerful emotion. Remember that we are going to be judged by the Lord by what we send out, not by what others do to us. Alma says it beautifully. In Alma 41, it says, Therefore, my son, see that ye are merciful unto your brethren. Deal justly, judge righteously, And do good continually. And if ye do all of these things, then shall ye receive your reward. Yea, ye shall have mercy restored unto you again. Ye shall have justice restored unto you again. And ye shall have righteous judgment restored unto you again. And ye ye shall have good rewarded unto you again. For that which ye do send out shall return unto you again and be restored.
2: I love that phrase. Of that which ye send out shall return to you again. It's the what goes around comes around idea. I just, I love that the scriptures say that.
0: A good example of this might be when your child loses their cell phone privileges and gets really angry at you as their parent and says something awful like, I hate you, dad. Can you, with positive feelings, overcome those negative emotions when they come up? Yes. How can you do that? You can use the thought habits of Jesus Christ we've already talked about. There is a reason that we've given to you and given them to you in this order. You're going to choose to keep the Holy Ghost with you. You're going to separate their worth from their performance. You're going to see that relationship as a stewardship assignment and glorify God within it. And realize that this is an enticement that has been given to you for an opportunity to grow spiritually. When you do this, In this moment of your child screaming at you that they hate you, picture your child being gathered up in the arms of the Savior. See them dressed in white in the temple with you. Thank Heavenly Father for the opportunity to grow and know that the Lord knew that this was going to happen and created this perfect scenario for your growth and for your child's growth. The power of Christ can be manifested even in the midst of this challenging conversation with your child. By doing this, you will send out completely different energy than you normally would if you had stayed in a natural man state while your kid was screaming at you. You will be in charge of your emotions and change the outcome of the situation. Remember that we are told to pray for those who despitefully use us and persecute us. Sometimes that means our own children. Bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, love your enemies. When your child doesn't perform well, separate that that performance from their true worth and you will have a much better outcome. And we invite you to use the same visualizing technique anytime you're having a hard time with a child or a spouse or a boss is being unfair or you're having a hard time with a bishop or just that your umpire of your son's baseball game just can't get that call right. The more you practice seeing people as God sees them with this visualization technique, the more powerful it will become for you in your life. Just watch the impact that is made when you use the negative experiences for your growth.
2: And the concept of what it said in the scriptures of it will return to us again. What goes around comes around. When I send out that kind of energy, it is going to come back to me. Guaranteed. Okay, so just as a recap, Heavenly Father, He is the one that gave us freedom to act for ourselves. And the atonement of our Savior Jesus Christ redeemed us from the fallen natural man state. He sealed the deal for our freedom. Don't give away your power through disowning. Get the beam out of your own eye first and change your false expectations for the reoccurring events in your life. Keep your shield of faith up by expecting spiritual growth. Really, truly, this is the best way to have power over what we think, feel, and do. We want to invite you to plant the seed. The seed is this. I am the temple president over my temple, and I am in charge of what I think, feel, and do and no one else. So first, with Awake and Arouse Your Faculties to See as Christ Sees, Lots of scriptures, lots of conference talks once again are given with the idea, um, read them with the idea of where you've been giving your freedom away, where you've been giving your power of agency away. And as you're reading these scriptures, we invite you to get out your journal. Listen to what the Spirit tells you. Let Him show you where you've been disowning personally. And he is going to help you know how to get your power of agency back.
0: Second is to exercise a particle of faith to think as Christ thinks. First thing in the morning, reset your expectations with your specific recurring events that are going to happen in your day, whether it's family or work or exercise or driving, whatever it is. And know that that when you do that, You are going to get less hooked when you do that kind of preparation and have that shield of faith up ready. We have included some prayer phrases in our sample prayer that we provided on our website.
2: Third is the desire to believe and let the desire work in us to feel as Christ feels. Pray for that confirmation from the spirit of the truth that you are an agent for your own life together with your Savior, Jesus Christ. You are in charge of what you of what you think feel and do your mind in this really truly is going to be enlightened. be aware of the confirmations that are going to be coming your way and use the eye of faith to see the fruits of this principle just like we talked about just barely with seeing other people as children of God that visualization helps you use the eye of faith to create great hope really for everyone around you. And there's also a guided meditation to help with this visualization as well.
0: Fourth is to give place for a portion of my word by doing all of these things out of the love that you feel for Heavenly Father and the Savior. Do that search, searching, the pondering, and the praying over these next few days because of your love for them. And don't cast these things out by unbelief. One of the adversary's favorite tools in the world right now is what we talked about, disowning. It will take time to improve. Be patient with yourself. Even if you just improve one thing today that you used to disown yesterday, then you are making progress and you have the spirit with you and know that you are on the road to enjoy the fruits of eternity. Just like President Hinckley said. And guess what? President Nelson reiterated it. When he said
1: this, Meanwhile, brothers and sisters, let us do the best we can and try to improve each day. When our imperfections appear, we can keep trying to correct them. We can be more forgiving of flaws in ourselves and among those we love. We can be comforted and forbearing. The Lord taught, You're not able to abide the presence of God now. Wherefore, continue in patience until ye are perfected.
0: How exciting to think about that day when we will be able to abide the presence of God. Until then, let us try to do a little better each day and remember that I am the only one in charge of what I think, feel, and do inside of my temple. Until we talk again, dear friends, never forget that the worth of your soul is great in the sight of God. Worth of Souls podcast is not an official publication of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. If you have any questions about the doctrines discussed here, please visit the church's official website for clarification.